This is Tech Talk with your host, Tom DiOria. Tom will spend the next hour making your life with technology a little easier with explanations of the different aspects of today's technology and how it can benefit your home, small office, or enterprise. Now here's your host, Tom DiOria. Welcome to IMI's Tech Talk. It's the fourth Sunday of September, our last Sunday in September, and it's also our first show in the fall of 2016. We're at 6 p.m. in the New York listening area and 3 p.m. in Arizona. And today we're live from our New York offices. And we're going to be discussing a really interesting topic, unpaid YouTube, with our guest, Pamela Wagner. I'm Tom DiOria. I'm the CEO of Information Methods Incorporated. And together with our weekly guests, our show will help our listeners, whether they're a business or home technology user, make better use of all aspects of technology. Just in case you're a first-time listener, in our first segment, TechTalk provides you the review of last week's most significant events in technology. We start with our increased coverage of New York's technology scene, and we follow this with our industry-wide report, which could contain information on conferences, announcements by vendors, new releases of software or equipment, or new contract opportunities. One of our guests follows many aspects of business and industry, and if you wish us to consider a topic for a future show, you can email your suggestions to TechTalk, that's T-E-C-H-T-A-L-K, at imi-us.com. We'll get back to you pretty quickly. Any time after our show introduction, please give us a call or send an email message with questions on today's topic or anything else we might be able to help you with. You can call 277-KFNX, that's 277-5369. And if you're outside the 602 listing area, call us toll-free at 1-866-536-1100. You can send your email questions to that email address I gave you, techtalk at imi-us.com. And we're also being simulcast on the web, so if you can't get to your radio and you want to listen to us live, you can go to KFNX's website, which is 1100kfnx.com. And if you want to listen to this show again or any of our previous shows, you can go to our website, which is imi-us.com. In the upper right-hand corner is the Tech Talk button. Click on that. All the shows are there. You can download them, send them to your friends, listen to them as many times as you want. It's free, so please take advantage of that. Although, uh, considering that uh, we're doing a show on how to make money on YouTube, maybe we'll do a show on how to make money on our archives. Our first segment is uh, the Week in Review, as your increased coverage of technology events in New York City and around the world. It's compiled by Dan DiOria, Jose Batista, and David Brandon. Cranes tells us that Gene Duen Young, a prize-winning author and a national ambassador for young people's literature, and Claudia Rentke, one of the poetry's brightest and most innovative stars, are among this year's 23 MacArthur Fellows and recipients of the so-called Genius Grants. The fellows were announced recently by the Chicago-based John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur Foundation, which gives each honoree $625,000 $625,000 over five years to spend any way he or she pleases with no strings attached. More than 900 people have received the grant since 1981 with previous fellows including Hamilton playwright Lynn manuel Miranda and dancer-choreographer Merce Cunningham. Fellows brought to the foundation's attention by an anonymous pool of nominators do not apply for the money and are not informed they've been chosen until shortly before the awards are announced. The idea behind the grants is to give people of exceptional creativity the flexibility to further pursue their ideas and projects. The fellows from New York City include Subhash Kat, a theoretical computer scientist at New York University, playwright Brandon Jacobs Jenkins, art historian and curator Kelly Jones, artist and writer Lauren Redness, 
the New Yorker staff writer Sarah Stillman, and composer Julia Wolfe. Mary Reed Kelly, a video artist from Olive Bridge, New York, was also selected. The foundation also selected author Maggie Nelson, New York staffer Sarah Stillman, composer Julia Wolf, theater artist and educator Ann Basting, and playwright uh, Brandon Jacobs Jenkins. At just 31, the Princeton-educated Jacob Jenkins has made a name for himself as an inventive, fresh theater writer. Two of his works tied for Obie Awards for Best American Play, and his play, An Octoran, was finalist for the Edward M. Kennedy Prize for Drama Inspired by American History. His works include Neighbors, in which a family of mistrels is in blackface moves next to a contemporary mixed-race family, uh, appropriate where a white family discovers its racist past and Gloria about a group of caddy editorial assistants in Manhattan Magazine whose lives change completely one random day. Pretty interesting. Uh, hopefully there's some technology in that. Flywheel gets the green light to take on a New York City taxi meter incumbents from Fortune. Soon enough, New York taxis will uh, have a new alternative to taxi meters and credit card processes installed in their cars. On Thursday, Redwood City, California-based Flywheel said it had been granted a license by the Taxi and Limousine Commission to market its alternative to devices they've been using for the last several years. Flywheel has developed software for taxi fleets that include smartphone app that acts as a taxi meter and GPS navigator, lets drivers process credit card payments with a car reader attached to a smartphone. That's pretty interesting. Until now, taxi meter market in New York had been monopolized by Verifone and Creative Mobile Technologies, or CMT. The lack of competition resulted in little improvement in taxi meters over the last decade. Meanwhile, our ride-hailing services like Uber and Lyft, whose mobile apps let both passengers and drivers book, complete, and handle payments, have burst onto the scene and quickly charmed their customers. In cities where it already operates, like San Francisco, Flywheel is best known for a smartphone app that provides passengers and drivers many of the same convenient features, such as hailing a car and paying via app. However, Taxi OS is taking things a step further in New York as Flywheel seeks to replace the traditional taxi meter. Flywheel plans to charge a variety of fees for Taxi OS, including credit card processing fees, a monthly fee for its dispatch software, and fees for using mobile app to book rides. One thing it won't charge for, however, is the Motorola Android smartphones it provides each driver which comes preloaded with Taxi iOS app. The company has partnered with Verizon to provide Internet data service to drivers, though so it charges a monthly fee of $12. Recode tells us that Verizon is in an advanced discussion to acquire a mobile video startup Vessel. Vessel is best known as the company founded by former Hulu CEO Jason Killar. Vessel launched in March 2015 and wanted to become a hub for YouTube stars to reach super fans, but the company was unable to sign many of the YouTube's biggest stars who stayed on uh, Google video sites, and company has struggled to find traction with users. Video industry insiders have speculated for months that Vessel, which had raised more than 100 $30 million from backers, including Benchmark and Amazon CEO Jeff Bezos, I would find a buyer. People familiar with Vessel say that the company has been working on a new product that would represent a pivot 
from its original plan, one person who has been briefed on the product described as Snapchat-like with uh, image filters and other features. So we'll see what Verizon has in mind for that. And the post tells us that New York startups aim to disrupt the insurance industry. The key, it says, is to get folks to behave. One-year-old Lemonade went live in New York with a slick mobile app that offers homeowners insurance for as little as $35 a month and renters insurance starting at $5 a month. It's pretty interesting. Eliminate says it can pull off these low rates partially because peer-to-peer model that it predicts uh, will cut fraud by eliminating the adversarial dynamics that has long played the industry and its customers. Under the traditional model, insurers profit by denying claims to their customers. In response, customers retaliate by filing false or inflated claims. The fraud accounts for nearly 40% payouts. Lemonade estimates further pushing up premiums. Lemonade solutions to charge a flat fee of 20% for coverage so that it has no incentive to fight payouts. At the end of the year, Lemonade will instead give any excess cash from its monthly premiums to charity chosen by the customer. Lemonade's app which ditches brokers, 25% of the cost of insurance it calculates, in favor of automated chatbots. has a few other techniques for uh, putting its customers on the best behavior. When the claim is filed, for example, the app asks the customer to shoot a brief video of themselves with their smartphone, explaining the loss or damage in addition to filling out brief questionnaire. This is pretty silly. Although it typically takes just a few minutes, the sign-up process also requires an honesty pledge and signature early on under a scary-looking FBI crest. So what happens if there's an honest-to-goodness disaster in New York on the scale of Hurricane Sandy? Charities will lose out for starters, and if uh, bosses exceed Lemonade's pool of premiums, it will turn to a group of reinsurers led by Lloyds of London and Berkshire Hathaway. Those reinsurers like Lemonade are talking about 20% or taking about 20% of Lemonade's premiums to start. A cut that Lemonade expects will shrink as the company adds scale. Last year, Lemonade raised uh, $13 million from Sequoia Capital, in which said to Silicon Valley's venture firm's largest ever seeding round. So this is going to be interesting. Interesting to see where that goes. We're going to take a break. Uh, We're going to get to our guest, Pamela Wagner. We're going to talk to you about unpaid YouTube. This is Tom Dioria. We're on AMA's Tech Talk on KFNX AM 1100. Please stay tuned. We're going to be right back after these messages. Welcome back to IMI's Tech Talk on KFNX AM 1100. I'm Tom Diori at September 25th, 2016. That's our first show of autumn. And as I mentioned to you uh, before the break, our guest today is Pamela Wagner, and we're going to talk to you about unpaid YouTube. Uh, The former Google employee is passionate about delivering digital marketing strategies that push people and business forward. With her focus on paid ad strategies, Pamela's clients earn back 3 to $60 for every $1 ad spent. Hmm, I think I may have to change my job. Her customers span 20 time zones, reaching from Los Angeles to Australia, and are across a wide range of industries, luxury hotels, flower shops, sports shops, relationship coaches, and many more. You can find her doing her work from any place in the world. 
whether that's the hustle and bustle of New York City, the amazing beaches in Sengal, or historic surroundings of Vienna. Okay, I want to go to each of those places except New York where I am. Pamela, thanks for being on the show today. You're welcome. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for hosting me. Okay, so we're going to talk about YouTube and the change that they made, but for those of our uninformed listeners, we don't have a lot of those, can you first say what YouTube is and then we can talk about what's changing? Yes, sure. So, I mean, YouTube is the biggest video platform in the world. Nearly a third of all Internet users are actually accessing it every month, so it's just amazing of what reach they have. And the change they made has been... Well, some people say it wasn't really a change. They announced in June, and they finally acted on it about three weeks ago. And it was about demonetizing videos. Now, before, when you uploaded a video and it was not able to be, like you could not monetize it, YouTube would just not tell you anything. They would just not monetize it. But now YouTube basically tells you, hey, um, your video contains profanity or any sexual content. You're you are unable to basically monetize it or uh, get ads there, which can then pay your channel and which a lot of people have been relying on. So uh, some people say there's been no changes. Really, YouTube is just now telling you in advance of what they're doing. Oh, so that's, that's interesting. So people that are used to YouTube are used to that process, I gather. Yeah, exactly. So... Before, I mean, you, the thing is now it's a little bit more transparent. So what it really means is that uh, the new guidelines basically prohibit things like um, sexual humor or violence or talking about anything controversial or, or sensitive subjects, such as, for example, the recent shootings there were. So uh, some people have talked about it being as a censor, like a censorship. But it's not really being a censorship because it doesn't prohibit you from uploading the content. It just tells you, well, if you include any of these things, you're just not being able to make money with it. So they don't, if you do violate some of these uh, rules, I guess, I, my first question is they don't take it off YouTube. They leave it there. They just don't let you put ads. But somebody from YouTube is looking at everything that gets posted? So there's, on the one hand, there's an algorithm running over it because every minute, 500 hours of video material gets uploaded. So that's just a huge amount of data. And they, they look at, um, at certain tags, for example, like ISIS or certain language that appears in the description of a video. So they're not looking at all the videos. They're looking at something that, it, that uh, the person that posts it indicates what the video is, basically? Well, this, yes, and then there's an algorithm basically scanning all the videos. Okay, that's pretty interesting. So what YouTube's intent, in other words, are they trying to make it more family-oriented? Are they trying to prevent the type of stuff that they don't think belongs on there from making money? Um, and I guess the... Uh, the backup and ask the first question is how do you make a, how do you make money on a video on YouTube? Yeah, so how do you make money on the YouTube on video is you can enable the monetization and that means that you can let ads run before the video starts or in the middle of your video or at the end of the video. These are some of the most popular options. What YouTube um, what YouTube says its intention is with the demonetization 
uh, is that it says it wants more transparency. It wants to foster goodwill within the community, so really, like, highlight the, the good stuff, basically. And it also wants to provide a better communication with advertisers. This is what YouTube says. Now, the, the fourth point that I've noticed is that a big shift has been happening in the last years where advertisers have been shifting their dollars and in investing it in, in TV ads, in YouTube ads, because usually YouTube ads are uh, much more measurable. You, you can see better what's the outcome of it. And one of the most important criteria for advertisers to shift from the TV to YouTube is that on YouTube they can basically, um, that they have a certain standard, that YouTube has a certain standard. And so with the new guidelines, YouTube wants to make sure it keeps the same standard as it has on the TV because also on the TV you can determine when your video runs, but you might not want to run your video in front of a sensitive topic or maybe in front of somebody who's using very vulgar language. So it's just, it's just really trying to mirror a little bit how the TV landscape has been so far. I'm sorry. Okay, so explain to me now. I have a video of whatever it is, uh, a cat playing or some whatever the video happens to be. Um, tell our listeners uh, who may not be familiar or who may have wanted to always do this, how do they post it to YouTube? Do you need to have a YouTube account? And then once I have it posted up there, how do I take advantage of these ads? You need to have a YouTube account, and then you upload your video. And then you need to make sure that you have certain settings put right in your account, like that you allow the monetization of your videos. And within those settings, you can then again determine which types of ads you want. And when your video gets a certain type of traction, so like, um, like really quite a couple of hundreds of thousands of views, then you're able to monetize it, let ads run in front of it, and you can start earning money with that. So for the novice, is, is that a, that process that you described, is that a difficult task or is it pretty self-evident? It's kind of self-evident, just that the settings of YouTube have, been more, have, been, have become more complex. When you start up a YouTube account and you're really interested in making it or in monetizing it, I would highly advise to connect with somebody who knows YouTube, who is an expert in it, because they can really guide you to have the right settings from the start and not waste your valuable time on, on trying different things that in the end just, just cost you valuable dollars that you'd like to earn. We're going to take a break, but I'd like to get into that in a little bit more detail and maybe uh, talk a little bit more about um, you and your clients and, and how you bring to fruition that uh, high profit margins we were talking about in the introduction. Uh, this is Tom Diorio on IMI's Tech Talk on KFNX AM 1100. It's Sunday, the 25th of September 2016. We're talking to Pamela Wagner about YouTube. And uh, this is the half hour break, so you're going to get the national news. It's a little longer, but please come back and you, Pamela will tell you how you can make lots of money. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back. Welcome back to IMI's Tech Talk on KFNX AM 1100. I'm Tom Dioria. 
And today is the our first show in uh, the fall of 2016. It's September 25th, 2016. I'm Tom Dioria, and our guest today is Pamela Wagner, and we're talking to you about YouTube. And uh, Pamela, before the break, we were uh, you were explaining how one uh, could make money, and it's better to link up with somebody that has experience doing this. So tell us a little bit about. Uh, what process you use, um, let's first talk about um, doing it for a client that may not be a, a big business, and then we can go into some of these big businesses you have in luxury hotels and so on, in other words, how how they use YouTube to their advantage. Let's talk about the, uh, the individual at home, me sitting at home, uh, having a video of, of something. And I gather the video has to be something I own or produce, not something I borrow from somewhere. Is that is that one of the rules? Ideally, it should be unique content. There is... Um, there is a couple of things that, that make a good video. So it should be it should be very practical. It should not be obvious advertisement, not like saying, hey, look at how good I am, but it should really be centered towards the audience and user, like looking at what is valuable for them. And ideally, it would also include a call to action. That could be subscribe, download the PDF, um, buy the book, etc., now, you'll help say somebody has an idea and they want to they want to do it but they have no experience do you help your clients actually develop the uh the video and is there a length limit in other words can they go for 30 minutes or are they limited to 5 or 10 minutes or how does that work So in terms of the technical aspect for a video I usually collaborate with somebody else because I'm I'm more really focusing on the paid ad side um, in terms of the lens, you can pretty much have everything. I mean, there are already like 10-hour videos on YouTube. So from a couple of seconds to 10 hours, you pretty much find everything. Um, if we talk about creating a video for an ad on YouTube, then it would be ideal to create something between, let's say, 15 seconds to like two minutes. That's a good time to show a good story, to get the user hooked, and really bring them to your channel. Say I had a video like that, uh, and and I was your client. Would you tell me whether or not you thought it was a good video, or I should make some modifications, or do you give that type of advice if I already have the video? Yes, definitely. Because if I don't believe in it, and if I don't think it's good, I would not be able to work with it properly. Some of the videos are how to, you know, how to fix your refrigerator, yeah. how to do things like that. Is that also included? In, in the type of money-making uh, uh, projects that you've been involved with? That is a really good strategy where you can produce content for, that is really valuable to your users, where you can serve as a kind of like a guideline or, or um, just helping people out in their daily life and then, of course, showing them nicely in the video how they can include your product or service in that how-to that you're showing them. How do or why do industries use YouTube as opposed to conventional advertising? I mean, we mentioned in the intro like luxury hotels and sports shops and and things like that. I could understand the coaches and the flower the local flower shops doing it because they need to get their name out and they really don't want to pay for big ads on television, but why do, why do big hotels use YouTube? 
For example, there's, there's been a couple of studies on YouTube, and one of those is that 50, like, if you have a YouTube video, the chance that your page appears on the first result, on the first page of results on Google is 53 times higher than if you wouldn't have a YouTube video. And these days, with uh, changing SEO and, and really not being able to control it, it's one of the more reliable resources to make sure your page ranks really high on Google. So that's one thing. And then another thing is that pretty much 65% of all managers that had that have viewed a video checked out the web page of the seller or the company afterwards. So there's really a lot of data you can measure on YouTube that you cannot get on on um, on TV. And you can also have a much clearer targeting because with the TV, sometimes the person just has it running, but they're not directly watching. But with the video, they're really watching it. They're in front of it. They're noticing your brand. And that's why it's so relevant to, pretty, to companies of pretty much every size. Now, as a user, as a, I guess, a viewer, not a user, uh, as a viewer, what draws me to that? to that uh, YouTube video. Uh, I'm just doing a Google query and it takes me to a bunch of videos. Is that how people get drawn to these and then see the ads as a result of that? Or is there some other, you know, do I get something, an email that says, go look at this YouTube? And what's the typical way to get me to that video? So usually you would look for a video. It can be a music video. It can be a how-to video. And then in front of that video, it could be that the ad is shown. Now, ideally, the targeting should be in a way that the video that you see before or that the ad you see before the video you wanted to see is not annoying, so that it really is something useful to you. But the problem we have right now is that uh, there's still a lot of people trying to really figure the platform out. So very often, the ads are perceived as rather annoying than helpful, unfortunately. So we still have to, to go a long way to, to really get close to the intent that YouTube has with the ads. That's pretty interesting. Let's go back to the changes that, that YouTube made. And you mentioned basically they weren't really major or had a major impact. But did they, since they did do it, did it have any effect on uh, the earnings of the users? Yeah, so that's definitely because... Uh, quite some people that that calculated with with the significant earnings that they had from channels, the, suddenly their their framework is kind of altered without any warning, and their business or maybe even the livelihoods is is in danger. You could say, so a lot of people that haven't really read through the guidelines before were shocked now, um, didn't really plan it, and seriously need to consider other streams of revenue. If they are negatively affected by it, is there corrective action they can take or or do they have to completely change their entire perspective? The most important thing that I feel would be is to, to really read the guidelines because, you know, a lot of times when you get guidelines, when you get terms and conditions or whatever, you don't really read them. You just skip them. But I think this was a really, really good moment that showed, hey, it's actually really useful to you if you read the guidelines of the platform that you use. If I go to the YouTube website and there, there's somewhere on there I can go see what the uh, what these new guidelines are and how they might affect me? 
Yes, so you can find them either on YouTube.com and when you log into your account there, to your YouTube account, or when you go to support.google.com slash YouTube. Well, that's good advice. We're going to take another break now. I'd like to talk to you about what you see happening in 2017. This is Tom DiOrio on IMI's Tech Talk. Uh, this is KFNX AM 1100. It's the 25th of September 2016, and our guest Pamela Wagner is telling you everything you need to know about YouTube and how to make money and how to avoid not making money, I guess. Please stay tuned. We're going to be right back after these messages. Welcome back to IMI's Tech Talk on KFNX AM 1100. I'm Tom DiOria. It's the 25th of September 2016. And we're talking to Pamela Wagner about unpaid YouTube. Um, Pamela, if our listeners uh, want to follow up with you, what's the best way for them to do that? So pretty much the best way to follow up with me is to get on my homepage, which is which is and there you have an option to subscribe to my weekly newsletter, and that pretty much gives you all the insider knowledge of paid advertising strategies across Google, Facebook, LinkedIn that you need to really grow your business and take it to the next level. Okay, and that's a, and they can also reach out to you there if they want your help. Yeah, so they could also reach out to me directly at advice at pamelavagna.marketing. Okay, great. And I gather from the introduction that you're all over the place, so it doesn't make any difference where they may be. Oh, my God. If they're in a country I don't have a client yet, that's perfect. Like, I absolutely love to work with people all over the world. It's, it's so normal for me to have a meeting in the morning with somebody from Singapore, at noon with somebody from England, and then in the afternoon with somebody from Miami. <laughs> that's that's great. That sounds like you're in a really good niche business. Yeah, it's so fun. What it's, do you it's see changing in 2000? What do you see changing in 2017 with YouTube's um, monetization? Do you see anything down the road, uh, or have you heard anything? So one thing that I've seen, especially in the last one to two years, to really work out well is event monetization. So if we take any any major sports events, for example, that has been had a huge that has had a huge focus on it. Um, and then we've had also the introduction of YouTube Red, which is not yet pretty much fully available on the whole world. So they're they're still kind of like testing it and rolling it out. So that's the system where you can uh, uh, pay a monthly subscription and you don't see any ads. Um, then we have a huge growth in mobile. I mean, there's already more people watching YouTube on mobile than on desktop. So I have a strong feeling that there's a special plan coming also for mobile. Um, and then, yeah, I think they're also kind of trying to stay more off sensitive topics in order not to fall on any specific political side because we've seen that that's been a really sensitive topic in the last weeks and months. That's a good point that you bring up because, you know, candidates are saying that they lean one way or the, or the other. Are they being pretty... Uh... Good about that? I would say YouTube is doing a pretty good job about being neutral and not taking any specific side on it, which is very, very difficult in these days. Yeah, I know. They're not censoring uh, stuff that goes up there. Do they censor anything that goes up there? I mean, do they block 
videos? In terms of political content? Or any content. I think it's it's mostly if it's too if it if it contains too much pro- profanic language or if it really con- uh, contains materials like a lot of I would say now dead people or, or these things. I mean now we've already had all these shooting videos up. Um, so yeah, I think YouTube is itself trying to find a way on on where to put uh, where to put the border and how to walk that fine line. Okay. Um. My producer wanted me to ask you about YouTube Heroes. What's that? <laughs> awesome. So it's it's basically a program that's meant to engage people in the community more to monitor the platform. So it's a gamified way to just include normal people like you and me, to flag abusive content, to moderate comments more. Um, and, and those people should also be a direct connection from basically the normal people, us, to the direct employees of YouTube. They'll also be able to add subtitles and, and other comments. Um, if, if you're or if the listeners are familiar with the Trusted Flaggers program, then one could say that uh, the YouTube Heroes is basically an expanded version of the Trusted Flaggers program. Oh, okay. And is that out now or is that something they're planning? That's currently being planning. I mean, you can actually already sign up on when you go to uh, support.google.com slash YouTube and you look for the YouTube Heroes program, they actually already give you the opportunity to sign up for it and then it'll review the, uh, your account and let you know if, if you're able to take part in the program or not. Can you tell us about any other video hosting options besides YouTube? So I think the three biggest ones we have currently next to YouTube is Vimeo. But their their reach is obviously far away from YouTube. Then we got Facebook Video or Facebook Live, which has been uh, taken on. It, it's amazing how people are using it. So that that's really been growing. And then as well, we're seeing Snapchat and Instagram competing for for the, the shorter videos. So if we're talking about like 50 seconds, 30 seconds, one minute videos, then those are definitely also hot platforms to look at. Now, do they also have advertising options? Yes, they've so especially Instagram has come up also with uh, video and normal image ads. Okay, but you you feel that YouTube is the best way to make more money? Is that a good assumption? Um, in general, yes. Of course, I got to say it depends on the audience, but YouTube just has the broadest reach, and you can pretty much access anybody you want. And in the intro, uh, maybe you can explain this. We mentioned that uh, for every one dollar ad spend, you can earn back three to sixty dollars. How does explain that math? Yeah, so that usually is is for Facebook ads and Google AdWords, so like the search ads in Google. YouTube is more of a branding platform, so. I would not advise you to put your, your ad budget into YouTube if you're looking for a strong ROI, but you only have a very little budget, let's say 1000 or $2,000 a month. Um, YouTube is not something where you send people to and then they'd access your website. So with YouTube, it's more like using it as an end platform. So the, the 3 to $60 ROI reflects more on, on Google search ads, for example, or Facebook ads. Okay, well, that makes it a little bit more, uh, that explains it a little bit better. Um, 
I guess um, the last thing I'd like to cover in the couple of minutes we have left, uh, are there other options for content creators besides using video that you've seen or recommended? Yeah, so, I mean, we have, on the one hand, the good old blogging, where you have your own page. You can put up any content as you want. Nobody's ever going to tell you what to write, basically. Then you've got all the image platforms, like Instagram and so on. And then, which is pretty much also one of my favorites, is email, email marketing, building up your own email list, because this is something that nobody can ever take away from you, and that's why email marketing is and will stay relevant for a very long time. Great. Well, I really appreciate you being on the show with us today. I think this is very informative, and uh, hopefully some of our listeners will uh, be in touch and uh, try and take advantage of uh, what you've told them today. I'd love to hear from them. Okay. Next week, uh, we're going to have a pretty interesting show. Uh, we were at um, the 9-11 uh, Museum here in uh, New York, and they had a... Uh, on uh, an event with uh, Joe Torrey talking about some of the technology in baseball because he is a vice president there. Um, so we're going to have some excerpts from that on next week, so I think you'd want to hear that. I want to thank Terry Ruggiero, IMI's president, Dave Brandon, Dan Diori, and Jose Batista do our week in review. Taylor Redden's our producer, Tess Henshaw is our associate producer, and Matt Kimpagny is our executive producer. And without the help of Robert Bomback and the KFNX AM 1100 production department, not a word of what we said would you hear. Thanks again for listening, and please don't forget to tune into Tech Talk next week at 6 p.m. in New York on KFNX AM 1100. And remember to send us your suggestions for future shows or ask us questions by sending an email to techtalk at imi-us.com. Have a great week. Enjoy the beginning of fall, and thanks again for listening.